Section 18 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham McMillan, San Diego, California. An American Vendetta, a story of barbarism in the United States, by T.C. Crawford. Chapter 11, Part 4. It was then Mrs. Von Bergen made an heroic resolution, which was fully in keeping with her character. She proposed to visit the land herself, and to make an appeal to the squatters personally, to see if she could not persuade them to leave peaceably. No arguments of the doctors could change her decision. The philosophical Irish speculator became very much excited as he talked with her. "'Do you know, my dear madam,' he said he, "'that these people are not human beings. They have no sentiments to which you could make any appeal. They are simply animals of the lowest degree. They would as soon kill a woman as a man.' The only answer that you will have to your appeal will be a bullet, if these squatters think that you are in earnest in your attempt to dispossess them of this land. When this argument failed to make any impression on this courageous woman, the doctor said, You will not be able to drive there. The roads leading to it are impassable for wagons. It can only be reached after two hours of the hardest kind of horseback riding. The reply to this was that she was used to horseback riding, that she would prefer that means of going. Mrs. von Bergen said to me, of course I cannot ask you to go and assume any risk. I replied, with the phrase of the northern patriots during the war, that I had enlisted for the war and did not propose to desert then. She thanked me with a smile and asked me to make preparation for an early morning start, as she proposed to use the remainder of the first day of the four she had, before she must turn back, in resting from the fatigues of her journey. The little Irish land speculator came out with me. He said, with many an emphatic oath, I am going to break over the rule of my life for this region and possibly destroy my business here forever. Up to the present time I have kept out of all these rows. It is a matter of indifference to me how many of the animals in this neighborhood kill each other. But when I see a real lady involved, overboard goes all my prudence. I will stand by you, my boy, throughout the whole affair. And if a hair of that lady's head is harmed by any of these outlaws, I will start in to shoot and kill, myself, until I make a record equal to any man's in the county. I thanked the enthusiastic doctor for his support. I then went back to the hotel and engaged horses for the next day. This was accomplished with great difficulty. It was not possible to secure any guide. There was no man in the town who could be hired for love or money to direct a party of strangers in the direction of Sam Hatfield's house. The little doctor heard of my inquiries and came to me, saying, I know this country like a book. You will need no guide with me along. Then there is not the slightest prospect of your changing your mind? Not the slightest. When was there ever an Irishman who could resist the luxury of doing a foolishly reckless thing, which at the same time endangered life and everything he has in the world, to go through with a fight? Captain John continued to act in a very mysterious manner. He did not appear at the hotel until half-past eight that evening. When he came in he was beaming with satisfaction. Military strategy was his sole subject of conversation. He kept very close to reminiscences of the war, however, and of the great things he had done in the past. He seemed to have quite forgotten all about Mrs. von Bergen. He did not make the slightest allusion to her or her visit. I left him smoking over the fire, talking with two or three of his associates. I did not tell him until just before I retired of our intention to make an early start in the morning. I asked him this to see if he would be willing to go along with us. My information seemed to greatly excite him. He said, Oh, you may be sure I will go. You should have told me this before. Then, with an air of military severity, I want you to remember that I am the military commander of this expedition, and its success depends upon absolute obedience to my orders, and upon your doing nothing without consulting me. 
I don't think much of this expedition going out in the morning, but if you will follow my advice, you will delay the start until noon, and then go the road that I will take you, and we will have that place cleared free and well, you may be sure. I thought it well to humor the captain. I knew that he was a great authority in that country, possessed a careful knowledge of the people and their ways, and I had some faint belief in his capacity for military strategy. At any rate, I thought enough of the captain's suggestion to delay the start until noon. This was made easy by a pretext that horses could not be obtained before that time. We set out at precisely twelve o'clock from Bunce's hotel, where the horses had been brought up. They were the sorriest-looking animals possible, but they were used to the mountain roads, and were good enough to take us for the short journey we had in view. We set out with the captain leading. He was the only well-mounted man in the line. He had the strong brown horse from his own farm. We all followed in single file. The Irish doctor was next to the captain. After him came Mrs. Von Bergen, and after her, myself. The servant we left behind. Not one of us was armed. It has been my rule in traveling in this country not to carry arms. I have found that the carrying of arms is more likely to get you into trouble than out of it. The road taken by the captain was even worse than the one over which we had come to the Logan Courthouse. It was impassable for wagons of any kind. It would suddenly pitch down steep declivities into roaring streams and then wind along over sharp rocks and under overhanging branches of dense masses of trees. The course was a natural one made by the mountain streams. We simply followed them, winding in and out over the banks and crossing them from one side to the other as we were turned to the right or left by the numerous obstacles encountered. I had been told at Logan Courthouse that this land was distant only two hours' ride even over this rough road. The captain must have taken us by some roundabout course, for we rode until six o'clock before he ordered a halt. He stopped in front of a small log hut lying under the shadow of a dense forest, which swept down from the purple hills of a far distant background. This house was deserted. The captain walked in with the air of the proprietor. An open fire was blazing in the hearth. The captain turned to Mrs. Von Bergen and said with a genial air of hospitality, This little place I have borrowed for this expedition. It belongs to an old friend of mine. He has only one room, to be sure, but you will find it very comfortable on that pile of skins in the corner. And as we men folks will be on guard tonight, why, you can sleep there just as safe as a baby. He then took me aside, and from the front of the house pointed out a log house with a shingle roof, about a quarter of a mile away. That, said he, is Sam Hatfield's house. That is where he's squat. He's got ten men with him, for he has received a warning that some of the McCoys were after him and he has laid in a stock of ammunition and is waiting for the boys, who have been threatening to cross the river most any night and wipe him out. They owe him one on account of his killing about three weeks ago, Dave McCoy, when he was out fishing in Tug River. They dropped the boy, as usual, from behind, but some of the country people saw who did it, and so the word was passed around, although no one ever dreamed of going nigh any of the court officers in the case. Now this year lady in here will have no more chance of mercy if she should attempt to go over to that house than if she should go into a rattlesnake's nest. I'm hoping, if my plans carry, that she'll have no need to bother with those sorts of animals tomorrow morning. What do you mean, I asked. What is the plan? The captain turned to me and said, Now it is too late for anybody to stop it. I don't mind telling you. I have been playing a bit of military strategy. You know I have made it a rule never to mix in these quarrels. Yesterday I sent word to the McCoys that Sam Hatfield was intending to leave the country, and that he would probably get away tonight. They will probably be across the river within the next two hours. I told them to come strong, and there will be thirty or forty of them. They will come prepared to kill Sam Hatfield and to burn up the house. 
And then, you see, that property will be clear and free without getting any respectable people involved in this fight. Do you mean to say, said I, that you have deliberately planned to have these people begin killing each other simply for the purpose of freeing this property? Why, you are really worse than they. The captain looked at me with pity. It's easy to see, said he, that you have never been a soldier, or you wouldn't talk like that. These people are all the time shooting at each other. The McCoys were coming over some night this week anyway. We have no law and no punishment in this country for shooting, and where's the harm in my setting these wild cats at each other a night or two in advance of what they originally intended? Seems to me you got foreign notions in your head. I don't believe you were even a naturalized American citizen. If you were, you would have more sense. I shall not attempt to make any apology for myself. I did not say one word to Mrs. Von Bergen about the situation. I must confess that I even took actual pleasure in the thought that the McCoys were going to cross the river that night to aid in evicting the murderous Hatfield, who held the property of my friend. Perhaps I had been in this barbarous country so long that I had become infected with its spirit. However that may be, I present the case as it is without any attempt to soften anyone's judgment of my conduct. Soon after my arrival, we had a meager repast from a lunch brought with us. At nine o'clock, Mrs. Von Bergen wrapped herself in a huge rug, and lying down upon a pile of skins in the corner, soon fell asleep, overcome by the fatigue of the afternoon ride. The captain waited outside the house, steadily watching the Hatfield house. I remained with him, determined to remain up all night to watch the outcome. The doctor wrapped himself in a great cloak and went to sleep under the shelter of the porch. It was a lonesome watch. The night was cold, and the gray mist from the creeks was very dense and penetrating. About half-past eleven, footsteps were heard in the road. The captain signaled for me to be silent. There then passed around the corner in front of our house some thirty men. They were all on horseback. We awakened the doctor and told him in a word what was up. The captain said, You remain here, so in case the lady wakes up, you will be able to keep her from becoming too scared. My friend and I will just follow this crowd up the road to see what they are going to do. End of section 18. Recording by Graham McMillan, San Diego, California.